You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 43. Don't stand just yet. Genesis chapter 43, though, and we've been in our series, Genesis, we call it In the Beginning, uh, that's what Genesis is. Brother Randolph preached out of Genesis last week. And, and, um, and so you've get, been getting a lot of Genesis for a long time. We're message 70-something in, in the book of Genesis. Um, and yet there's so much even here. We could turn this passage into a couple of different messages. And yet we're going to try to get through uh, the most, the bulk of this today. Uh, let me just give you a, a little background before we get into it. Um, for, for those that haven't been here or just to remind you... Last time we were here, we dealt with the first 14 verses, and the first part of this chapter uh, deals with Jacob's decision to send his sons back to Egypt for food. Now, uh, there was a terrible famine in the land, and the famine was affecting everybody from Egypt all the way to Canaan and beyond. Uh, There was no rain, they were without food, and the only place with food was Egypt, And if you'll remember, the reason they had food is because God had taken Joseph to Egypt. He was in a prison. He he interpreted a dream um, for the the butler, and the butler then was promoted back to Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh has a dream about seven uh, good cows and seven skinny cows, and then seven good ears of corn and seven bad ears of corn. And the bad ears and the bad cows eat up the good stuff. And, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And, and the butler says, hey, I know a guy that can interpret dreams. And so they pull Joseph out of the prison. And Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh and says, be ready, Pharaoh. There's seven years of good things coming, seven years of plenty. But then followed by those seven years of plenty, there will be seven years of famine. He says, you better get ready because it's coming. And he says, you should put somebody over this project. And and Pharaoh says, hey, you're a smart guy. How would you like to be over the project? So Joseph gets elevated to second in command. He's the prime minister in Egypt. And his job for seven years is to store as much food as possible so that when the famine comes, they're ready for it. Well, he's the guy. Then when the famine came, his own brothers, 22 years later, Jacob sends them to Egypt to get food. And they come and they're standing before Joseph, their brother. They don't know it's Joseph. They don't recognize him. They assume assume he's long dead. And yet there he stands. I mean, last time they saw him, he was a 17-year-old kid. Now he's almost 40 years old. And they stand before him. He, He sounds like an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. Just seeing if you're awake, okay? That was not in my notes, by the way. It had been 22 plus years. They think Joseph is dead, and yet he's the guy handling out the food in Egypt. And so he recognizes them, and, and he treats them poorly. He, he's not patient with them. He accuses them of being spies. He puts them in prison for three days, and they think it's because of what we did to our brother Joseph. They had sold their own brother Joseph into slavery because they hated him, and, and they, 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 knew, they know that God is judging them for what they had done against their brother Joseph. And so they, they get sent back home with their food, 
but Joseph keeps Simeon in prison. He, he keeps a brother there because he wants to make sure they come back. And by the way, when they're headed home, they find all the money they had given to, jo to Joseph for their food, they find it put back in their sacks. And now that's another problem because they're thinking they're going to think we stole our money and we can't go back now, but Simeon's there. I hope they like Simeon because they didn't have a lot of incentive to go back right now. So they go back home to Jacob. They tell him what happened. This guy was mean to us. He says, don't come back unless you bring your brother Benjamin. And this is a problem because you can only go without food for so long. Jacob doesn't want to send Benjamin back. He's already lost Joseph. He's already lost Simeon. He doesn't want to lose his son Benjamin again as well, the third son, until finally Judah says, the fourth son, he says, I'll bear the responsibility. I will take responsibility for Benjamin. I'll make sure that Benjamin comes back. Let us go back. We need more food. We'll get Simeon. We'll bring back food. I'll make sure Benjamin comes back. If he doesn't, I'll bear the responsibility for it. And that's where we are in this story. Jacob has finally decided to send his sons back to Egypt for food. And we're going to pick up our reading in verse 11. Let's stand if you can. Stand out of, the honor, uh, out of honor for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin reading in verse 11. It says, And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land of, in your vessels... Carry down the man a present, a little balm, which is medicine, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds, and take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in, your, in the mouth of your sacks. Carry it again in your hand. Peradventure, it was an oversight. He says, in case they just messed up, we don't want them to think we're thieves. Take double the money back. We're going to make sure they know we are not trying to rob them. Verse 13. Take also your brother, that's Benjamin, and arise, go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. I mean, God Almighty, El Shaddai, he's in charge, and I'm going to trust him for this. Verse 15, and the men took that present. So they got all this pres these presents, all these gifts, and they took double money in their hand, and Benjamin... And rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. So they go back to where they were, where the food is being handed out. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. He says, I want to eat a meal with them. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought them in into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid, because they were brought into Joseph's house... And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time, are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen or slaves and our asses. And they came near to the steward of the Joseph's house and they communed with him at the door of the house. So they literally come to the door and I can imagine them crowding the door, trying to explain what happened. And they said, oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food and it came to pass when we came to the end that we opened our sacks. And behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money was in, our money in full weight. And we have brought it again in our hand. This is what happened. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, peace be to you. I love the answer. Fear not. Your God. 
and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their asses provender. And they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. So they're getting the gift ready. They want this to be special. They want it to be impressive. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him in the earth, or to the earth. And, and by the way, that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Remember the dream Joseph had? He said, all my family's going to bow down to me one day. And his family said, you're the youngest. What are you talking about? We're not going to bow to you. Well, here we are. God's word always comes to pass. So they bow down and he asked them of their welfare, is your father well? And said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spake, is he yet alive? And they answered this, thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom ye spake spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my child. This is an Egyptian. They think he's an Egyptian, and yet he's talking about their God. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. And he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. He didn't want to see him crying. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread, it's time to eat. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is an abomination unto the Hebrew Egyptians. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. Joseph puts them in order from oldest to youngest. All 11, I mean, that would be difficult to do. And yet he does it, and they're marveling. And he took and sent, and this is kind of the focus here, he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. So little brother gets five times the food. And he say, well, I mean, have you ever seen a young man eat? I mean, if you've got in your house, we went to Pizza Ranch one time with the Wasson boys. I've never seen anything like it. These guys back here. Like 20 pieces of pizza. It's unbelievable. Well, Benjamin's like, oh yeah, five times as much. And you know what? His brothers, they were okay with it. And that says something about the brothers here. And I, I want to I see this. There, it says they, they drank and were merry with him. They were okay with it. And, and I, I think this is, there's so many directions to take, but I want to focus on this part where, where you might say, and I might say, that's not fair. I'm, I'm hungry. I mean, I'm like a Wasson boy, only getting one trip to the buffet. It's not fair, you know? They want to go back. No, no, until you realize that Joseph is testing his brothers to find out if they've changed. See, they thought they could win Joseph over with presents, like honey almonds and spices but Joseph was looking for something deeper and the title of the message this morning is this it's not the honey it's the heart and we moved up here from Oklahoma as Okie as Okies would say it ain't the honey it's the heart 
Sounds like a country western song. It probably is one, I wouldn't know, but it sounds like it could be. You know what, it ain't the honey, it's the heart. Listen, if you want to live a life that pleases God, or if you want to spend eternity with God someday, it's not about what you bring to God, it's about what's happening right in here. And we've got to get over this mindset that thinks, I can earn favor with God because no matter what we do, we can't. So, you know, we're going to pray and ask God to bless our time in and, and, and the reading of his word now. And if you would pray as well, think, Father, please just speak to me too. Father, we love you. We need you. And I pray that you would use this message to help us today. We love you. Bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are a few, more, few things more frustrating than when somebody plays favorites. And you've seen it before. You've seen favoritism, especially when you're not the one that's the favorite. How many middle children do we have in the room this morning? Yes, uh, we, I feel, how many oldest? Okay, how many youngest? Okay, the oldest, you have privilege because you're the first. The youngest, you're the entitled baby, okay? And I mean that in the kindest of ways. I was a middle child. I, see, I had no hope. My, my sister was the only girl in our family, the only girl, okay? And my brother was about eight years younger than me. He was the baby. I had no hope of ever being the favorite. Still not the favorite, okay? I, I, there should be a special reward for middle children in heaven, right? For the persecution that we've endured, right? No, but playing favorites happens sometimes. I mean, if you've ever, it's no fun, but if you, it happens at school with teachers' pets. It happens at work with, with the employee that works hard when the boss is looking, but not when everybody else is around. It happens when you're driving a minivan down the freeway and the sports car is weaving in and out of traffic and you're just trying to survive and you get pulled over. I mean, it sounds oddly specific, doesn't it? So, <laughs> Favoritism happens in sports and usually it happens against your team. Favoritism happens in families too, by the way. This family, this is what they're known for. They're known for favoritism. I mean, think about uh, Abraham. Abraham favored Isaac over Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. Jacob favored uh, Joseph until he was lost or thought he was dead. And then now Jacob is favoring Benjamin because the, uh, he's the other son of his favorite wife, Rachel. I mean, after Jacob, uh, Joseph disappear, disappeared, Benjamin became the favorite. He was so favored that the first time that all the brothers went to Egypt, Joseph said, I'm not sending him. I love him too much to go. And all the other brothers are like, okay, what, what about us? You know, this is, this is the favorite son. Benjamin is now the favored son, and he's favored so much now that when it's time to go back to Egypt to get food, Jacob still doesn't want to send him. And we get down to the end of the chapter, Jacob finally sends him. We sit down, they sit down at the meal, and here's Benjamin getting five times as much food again. There's more favoritism. It's all through this family, by the way. But one thing becomes clear, though, in this passage of Scripture, chapter 43. Joseph isn't playing favorites um, for the same reasons his family played favorites. See, Joseph has a reason, he has a purpose for playing favorites. See, he's trying to get a gauge on his brother's hearts. He's trying to figure out if there's truly been change. And before we get to that, though, understand, again, the dilemma. They need food. They have to go back to Egypt to get it. But the Egyptian, Joseph, said, don't come back without Benjamin. And, and to make matters worse, the money has been put back in the sacks. 
They think if they go back, they're not coming back to see Jacob again. They just know that something bad is going to happen this time, but you can only go without food for so long. So they convince Jacob to send them. Now, now you can't blame Jacob for being hesitant. Jacob's not lived an easy life. Jacob Jacob's has, has suffered loss. I mean, he lost his, his wife, Rachel, the wife that he loved. It's the first love of his life. He lost her in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. He lost Joseph already. Now Simeon is sitting in an Egyptian prison. I don't blame Jacob, do you? I mean, I don't blame him for thinking, I don't want to send Benjamin. I don't want to send you guys back. But you know, here's the thing. God is so at work that even if they had excuses not to go back to Egypt, they're compelled to go back because this is part of God's plan. I mean, God had put Joseph in that position, in that moment, to preserve this, this family. Um, God wants, to, wants them to survive. This is God's chosen family throughout all the earth. He wants them to have the nation and the land. He wants them to receive the blessings. He wants to bless the world through them. But here's the thing. See, God knew that Joseph's family weren't the people they were supposed to be yet. And he knew God wants to put them in a position where they have to be confronted with who they are before he can bless them like he wants to bless them. He wants to bless this family. He wants them to have all the things that he's promised. But there has to be a time of purging sometimes. There has to be a time of proving and see, that's what we're going through in these verses, in these chapters, is God is preparing these people to be blessed, and they're not quite ready for it. See, here's the problem. If, to receive the blessing, Joseph's brothers thought they could prove themselves with the, what they brought. They thought, if we bring enough good stuff, and so they, they compile this list. It's, a, it's like a gift basket. And in the gift basket, this giant gift basket, there's medicine and there's, there's spices and there's nuts and almonds and, and double the money and there's myrrh to make things smell good and there's honey to sweeten the deal. And they think if we go with, with what we can carry, we can impress Joseph with what we bring. They're trying to prove to Joseph that they were worthy of more food based on what they brought. And listen, this is a mentality that I'm just going to jump in. This is a mentality that many of us have. See, we think that we can work our way into God's favor. And I'm calling this honey. This is a honey mindset. See, if I do enough... If I, if I sweeten the deal enough, if I bring enough impressive things, if the basket looks good enough, God will accept me. Yeah, I know we made a mistake. I know the money was in our sack, but we can fix that mistake. I know we messed up with Joseph. And, you know, it's interesting this whole time, every time something bad happens, they think, oh, it's because of what we did to Joseph. They've got a guilty conscience. And they think, if we just do enough, Joseph will receive us. It'll fix our past mistakes. It's almost like a, a religious scale. And we think, well, if my mistakes are really bad, then I've got to do enough good to fix what I've done bad. And, and don't tell me that you don't think this way. That's the natural way to think. Us human beings, we think, well, it's about what I do. And if I've done enough bad, but I outweigh it or, or balance it or overcome it, with what I do good, God will receive me. 
God will be pleased with me. He'll look and say, oh, that's impressive. In many ways, that's the mindset Joseph's brothers have. See, Joseph represents Christ in this story time after time. He's a picture or a type of Christ. They're thinking, I'll, let's buy our way into the blessings. And see, then look what happens next in verse 15. Um, it, it says, back in first verse 15, it says, The man took their presents, they come, and, and the, the man took that present, and they took double the money, and Benjamin, and they rose up, went down to Egypt, they stood before Joseph. So they go into his presence, where he's probably hearing their cases, and handing out the food, and they come early in the morning. They come so early um, that they, we know it's early because Joseph says, these men are going to eat with me at noon. So they come with an impressive gift. They come early. They're zealous. They're like, we've got to do this. We've got to please him. We've got to impress him. So they come in, and Joseph sees his brothers, and he notices, I think, Benjamin is with them, and he says, okay, you know what? He says to his steward, so let's, let's feed them at my house at lunch. At noon, I'm going to have them to my house for, for lunch. And, and you would think that'd be exciting. I mean, to eat with the prime minister? I mean, I, I would be excited about the opportunity to eat with somebody like that. But you know what? The Bible says in verse 18, though, they weren't excited. They were afraid. They were afraid because the money that they found in their sacks. And they're, they're thinking, oh, no, he's going to bring us to his house and he's going to accuse us of stealing. And then he's going to turn us into his slaves. This is not good. They're wringing their hands. And that guilty conscience does that to us, doesn't it? When you know you've done something you probably shouldn't have done, it goes back to Joseph and what they did to him. And they're wringing their hands and they're afraid. And listen, you know what it is to live with a guilty conscience. Maybe you brought a guilty conscience in here, into this room this morning. And you know what you've done is wrong. And you know it's a mistake that, that you've got to fix. And every time something bad happens, you think, oh, no, this is God. He's, he's coming to get me. And, and I feel guilty and I'm afraid. And what's going to happen if God, if God really calls me on this? I, I don't, you're constantly looking over your shoulder. That's what happens. And look at verse 19. They go to the steward and try to explain what happened. In verse 19, they came near to the steward of Joseph's house. They communed with him at the door. Again, they come to the door and it's like he opens the door and they just all start talking. Well, the money in our sacks, it wasn't our fault and we, we didn't take the money. And here it is. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. He's like, wait a second. Now, listen, I'm thankful they took responsibility that they didn't, they didn't try to hide it. I mean... Could you imagine they, some, some or these brothers earlier in their lives, they may have said, hey, we found the money. Let's go take it home and, and pretend like we never found it. Well, at least they're admitting their, their responsibility here. Now, see, what I see in these brothers is, is growth. It's slow growth, but it's growth. They're taking responsibility for what happened and they don't try to hide anything and they're not trying to pass the buck but it's clear they're desperate they're begging for mercy and listen this is what happens when we try to please God with honey see we're left wondering is this going to be enough see here's the thing bringing presents to God may look impressive to other people but when you get close to God you start to realize he doesn't need your presence I mean, think about it. 
they're, they're walking in with armfuls of gift, gifts into Egypt. They're like, oh yeah, he's going to like this. And then they pass a warehouse full of food enough to feed a country for five years. They come to Joseph's house and they see the door of his house. It's ornate, maybe it's marble, maybe it's gold-plated. And they see Joseph's clothing and it's, it's the most beautiful clothing of the day. And it's this incredible look. And every, I mean, it's like lifestyles of the rich and famous. I mean, that's how impressive it was. And that's how much money and how much, how much stuff Joseph already had. And when you walk up to a house like that, to a person like that, and you're like, oh, I got some almonds. I mean, I, I brought some myrrh. And some spices. I mean, I, I, we got the yeah, we got the money, but you know what? Compared to what Joseph already has, I'm not sure this is going to impress him very much. And listen, this is how it is with us. Listen, in your life, you think what you're doing is good enough, and you think what you're bringing is going to impress the holy God of heaven. I mean, He created the universe. He made it all with the words of his mouth. I mean, he reached down and, and he formed man and blew into man the breath of life and gave him, and man became a living soul. But he did it of his own accord. He didn't take any material into it with it. He did it out of thin air. I mean, with nothing, he created everything. That's the God that we think, oh, but look, I brought almonds. This is Egyptian honey. I mean, I've got all of this stuff in here. And God, would you be impressed with that? And we've got to be careful of assuming that in our works we can please God or that we can impress God because he's the holy God of heaven. And listen, you know what we are? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So even if we come to him with all of this stuff, you know what? We're still in his eyes. We're still sinners. They look at their stuff and they're like, man, this isn't very impressive. I mean, in Psalm 50, God says, I, I, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. You know, what could we bring God that can impress God? What gifts could I bring to God that would, that would finally make him happy with me? I mean, what could we bring that would turn his head? Because honey won't cut it. We could never do enough. He's a holy God. We're sinners. We can never outweigh our sin with our good works. But I love what the steward says. This is a type of Christ. Joseph is a type of Christ. And look what his steward says in verse 23. They're panicking. And he said, peace be to you, fear not. Peace be to you, fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. You know what the steward says? He says, listen, you're trying your best. And you've come trying to please Joseph with your gifts. He says, peace be unto you. Shalom. Peace be unto you. Stop being afraid. You know, you know who the one that is the one that is going to provide the treasure? He says, the God of your father has the treasure. It's not your job, and I want you to get this today. It is not your job to, bring, to bargain with God and bring your end of the bargain to God and make God happy with you based on what you bring because you have a God who already has all the treasure. And you know what he says? Stop trying so hard. Yeah. 
Stop trying so hard in your strength. Peace be to you. Be not afraid. God has the treasure. You know what he's saying? And you know what he says to us as a picture in this story? If you, we have people in here in this room that have come and you're trying to earn your salvation with God and you know if you died today that you wouldn't be on your way to heaven. You've never got that settled with God. And so you're trying your best and maybe you're here this morning because you're bringing gifts. You know what God's word says? No, the, the treasure already came from God. Yes. And the treasure is a gift. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. And he already gave him and he already died on the cross, and the work has already been done. You don't have to bring your end of the bargain to the table. You just have to come to the tra- table where the treasure already sits, and you just have to pick it up. Listen, salvation is available to you this morning, but you have to stop trying in your strength. Because the work has already been done. God already provided the treasure. His name is Jesus Christ. And God says to you today, listen, yeah, I know you've made mistakes, but it's not about your mistakes. And it's not about the gifts that you're bringing because God, I'm already full of grace and salvation is available to you because I love you. It's not about what you've done. It's about the fact that I'm a God of grace. And God says the same thing to us. It's not about your work. It's not about your, what you bring to the table. It's not about your money. It's not about your talent. God receiving you is all about God's grace. Were it not for grace. See, God, see the brothers, they thought they could please Joseph with what they brought. But listen, and as a picture, God isn't as interested in the condition of your gifts as he is interested in the condition of your heart. It ain't about the honey. It's about the heart. Look what the steward does for them. I mean, we're not going to read it. I'll just remind you, he, he washes their feet. He, he, gives them, he, he takes them into the house. He cleans them up. He gives their animals food. You know what's interesting? He does all of this before they give the present to Joseph. You know what that tells us? It's not about the gift. It's not about the present. God is a God of grace, and he's a God of grace. I mean, we can never earn it with God. We can never present enough gifts to earn his favor. You know, see, Joseph comes in, and, you, and they think, okay, here he comes. Let's present the present. Let's bow down. We'll show him all this stuff. And you know, when Joseph sees all the stuff, they made ready the present. Verse 25, against Joseph came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And you know what he asked of them? He, he asked, you know what he says? He says, uh, yeah, this, these almonds are good. This honey. This myrrh. This is some of the best myrrh I've ever smelled. These spices are beautiful. They're going to help. The stuff you brought well, now I'm happy with you. You know what? It doesn't, it's like he doesn't even acknowledge the present. You know what he says? How's your dad? Is he still alive? See, see God, God is not interested in our gifts. God blesses us because he blesses us. Not because of what we bring. And it's not because of, of how well we do. And it's not because of our talents. It's not because of our activity. That's not what he's looking for. Joseph's not thinking about the present. 
Joseph, though, then looks up and he sees Benjamin and, and he can't con contain himself. He has to cry and he has to leave the room and, and go cry before the Lord and weep. He calls him my son. I mean, this is all because Joseph is just choosing to be gracious to his brothers. It has nothing to do with the present. And then something happens that leaves the brothers scratching their heads. Verse 32, look, it says, They set on him for him, set on for him by himself, and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that's an abomination. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, just kind of as a timeout right here, this is a very interesting point. You see, Joseph, um, he eats by himself. Then they set up a table or maybe not a table, uh, maybe on the floor or on a short table, uh, they, they set up for the, Egypt, for the uh, brothers, and then the Egyptians eat somewhere else by themselves. And because it was an abomination for the Egyptians to eat with the Israelites. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Oh, it's just God's sovereignty showing up. See, here's why. You see, when, when the, the sons of Jacob were in Israel, they would meet a Canaanite woman like Judah did and be like, you know, hey, Let's get together. Judah married a Canaanite woman and had children with her, thus starting to corrupt the seed of God's people. And so God knew they weren't able to withstand the temptation of the Canaanites. So you know what he did out of his grace and out of his sovereignty? He took them from a place where they would be tempted to, to corrupt the seed of God to a place in Egypt where the Egyptians would have nothing to do with them. And here's why. Because he's trying to preserve this nation. He's trying to keep them the way they're supposed to be so they can be blessed like God wants to bless them. And I love the way that this works. See, we think that sometimes God is taking us to Egypt and he's taking us to the wilderness because he doesn't love us. Nobody's trying to get us away from some influence that's tearing us down and he wants us to get us to a place where, we, where, where our life with him can thrive. And, and for 400 years, the children of Israel were in Egypt and their seed was pure and they, they, they had children and children and children, millions of children and it's because God took them from Canaan to a place where the Egyptians would have nothing to do with them. And it doesn't sound real fun, except that it's God's sovereignty at work. And I'm thankful for that lesson. Okay, time back in, okay? Because that was just kind of a time out. But see, here we have this amazing thing that happens. Joseph seats his brothers from oldest to youngest. And maybe Benjamin was easiest to peg because he was maybe clearly the youngest but this would not have been easy. Now think about it. These brothers, they all had different mothers. And Jacob was their father. I would assume that many of them were about the same age. I mean, they were probably maybe born within weeks or months of each other, some of them. So to be able then uh, to, to, to put people in order based on their age and get it right from, a, from 1 down through 11, that's a big deal. They're left scratching their heads like, what in the world is going on? You'd think they'd start putting two and two together, um, but they're just kind of, I don't know what they're thinking at this point. So, they, so you've got then Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin. You've got them all right in order. And then verse 34, though, is what really kind of catches your attention. They, the plates of food start coming out. And Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah, all of them, they get a plate of food. And it's probably a good, good, good amount of food. Um, he, Joseph had told his steward, go kill, kill animals. Make sure we got a good meal. 
So, so I'm just imagining, I, mean, I don't know if it was, I'm, I'm just imagining a steak, okay? And maybe it was lentils, I don't know, but let's imagine a steak, okay? Now you're hungry, okay? Steak, Ma- a baked potato, there's a salad, Texas Roadhouse rolls. You don't have to have anything else, just have the rolls, okay? And they sit down like, man, this is good. And then Benjamin gets his plate, and then another guy comes out with another plate. And then another guy comes out, and then another guy, and then another guy. And pretty soon, Benjamin's got five plates of food. And, and you think, why in the world would this happen? I mean, Benjamin's okay with this. He's fine. But you know, see, Joseph is putting them in the position where they have to prove themselves. See, 22 years earlier, they had a favored brother too. But 22 years earlier, when their brother was favored, they hated him. 22 years earlier, they looked at Joseph and said, you're the favorite, we're going to throw you in a pit. They said, we're going to throw you in a pit, then we're going to sell you as a slave. 22 years earlier, when they had a favorite brother, they weren't okay with it. And Joseph is putting them in a position to see whether or not these brothers are okay with it if their little brother is a favorite. And the Bible says, and they drank and they were merry. Basically, here's the idea. The brothers have seemed to have grown. The brothers are in a place where they're okay if somebody is the favorite They're okay with somebody else getting more than them. They're okay with it. See, here's where we come to our point today, is that Joseph wasn't interested in presence. He was interested in the presence of change. They were able to watch Benjamin get five times as much, and they were just merry. They thought they needed to bring something at first, but Joseph was looking for a heart of humility. They needed to understand that anything good, listen, they finally, it seems, got to the place where they understood that anything good that they had was undeserved. So in their minds, they're thinking, who cares if Benjamin gets more than us? Uh, Because, listen, we're just thankful that Joseph didn't have us killed. That's what we honestly deserved. And it's, honest, it's as if Joseph, his brothers, they, they finally have a heart of humility, as if they finally repented of their sins, and as if they've realized it doesn't matter what we bring, anything good is better than we deserve. Listen, it's not the honey that God is looking for, it's the heart. And God isn't interested in what you can do as much as he is interested in what you are. And so that means that it's not about your activity, it's about your humility. And if you want to please God, don't assume that you can do it with your hands. And don't pretend like you can work enough to please a holy God of heaven. You know what will happen if that's your mindset? You'll live in fear because you'll always wonder if you've done enough. And you know what? Your conscience will tell you, I haven't. You'll know that you can't earn it with God because he's a holy God and he's a perfect God. Listen, when it comes to salvation, listen, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, for by grace are ye saved. Listen, you quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of lest any man should boast. The Bible very clearly, and listen, some of you have come in this morning 
and you don't know if you died today if you'd be on your way to heaven. You don't know. And listen, what you've been trying is to earn it with, in your own strength. I, hey, I try to be a good person. Hey, I mean, I'm at church this morning, aren't I? You know, I try to do right by other people. You know what you're trusting, though? If that's your mentality, you're trusting in your works to save you. And you've brought a bunch of honey. But God's not looking at your honey. He's not looking at the gift. He's looking at your heart of humility. And he's trying to see if in your heart you know you don't deserve anything good. That you can never earn it on your own no matter what. And he's not looking for honey. He's looking at your heart this morning. And he wants to know, number one, do you believe that you're a sinner? Have you finally come to res take responsibility for your actions as a sinner before God? And he wants, number two, then are you, are you trusting in your works? Or are you trusting in the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ, eternal life? And then number three, he's looking to say, if you're willing, hey, listen, I know I don't, don't deserve anything good. I know I don't deserve it. I could never earn it. But if, but, if, but if God would give me a gift, may I gladly receive it this morning. And today he's just looking for hearts of humility. He can't be impressed with honey. Listen, if you've come this morning and you don't know that you're saved, I want to tell you this, the treasure has already been provided. And all you have to do is come to the end of yourself and say, I'm tired of trying. I'm telling you, I know people that work their fingers to the spiritual bone. And they'll never earn it with God because you can't do enough good to outweigh the bad. You're a sinner, that's your problem. And the only way to fix it is through Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, who died on the cross in your place for your sin. If you'd be willing this morning not to bring honey, but a humble heart and say, I know I don't deserve it. I mean, it doesn't really matter to me what Benjamin gets. I know I don't deserve anything good. But if God would grant me the gift of eternal life, I'll humble myself before him and I'll stop trying in my strength and recognize the work has already been done. He's looking for that this morning. Would you be willing to humble yourself before a holy God and say, I'm done with honey. I accept your treasure. But listen, this truth isn't just, doesn't just apply to the unsaved. This, truth, this truth applies to Christians too. You see, if you think you're good, I mean, Christian, I, I'm all for church attendance. And I'm all for serving and I'm all for for being in church, I mean, my livelihood depends on you coming. But you can serve and be active and never have a humble heart before God. As a matter of fact, some of the proudest people are the ones who find pride in their service to God. And they think, oh yeah, look what I've done. I mean, I'm wearing a tie, nobody wears a tie anymore. But I know how to tie one. I come to church and I'm here early and I was here at Mitt's prayer meeting this morning and I serve in 30 years in a class back there I've been teaching. And listen, 
God's no more pleased with that spirit than he is somebody who says, I can earn salvation on my own. The New Testament is basically, I mean, filled with examples of Jesus telling the Pharisees, stop being proud of what you're doing. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are before God. And listen, read Matthew 5 through 7. Read the Sermon on the Mount and understand you have to be before you can do. And listen, we've got to think not just in our church, and I'm not saying I see it everywhere here, but I mean in Christianity as a whole. We've got a bunch of Christians that are depending on honey. Look what I bring. Man, look, I'm, I, look what I can do. God's going to be happy with this. No, listen, it's not about the honey. It's about your heart. It's time to examine ourselves, Christians, and say, are we, it's not about what we're doing. It's about who we are before God. Listen, your honey can be all kinds of things. Your honey can be baptism. And if you're trusting in baptism, that's a work that you've done. It's not about a heart of humility. It's about your heart. It's not about honey. Baptism is an outward expression of inward faith. Your, your honey uh, may be your, your Christian service. It may be your Christian appearance. It may be that you know the lingo. It may be that you come from a long line of Christians in your family. But, Lord God, but the Lord's not looking at your honey. He's looking at your heart. Think about Joseph's brothers. They had honey. But Joseph was more interested in a heart of humility that could look at Benjamin and say, I'm okay with what Benjamin gets. I don't deserve anything anyway. Let me just give you three quick closing truths. God is more concerned with a heart of humility than a life of activity. He's more concerned with a heart of humility than he is a life of activity. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't care about your activity. He does. But he cares first about you being who you are before he is concerned about you doing what you do. And if you are who you're supposed to be, you will do what you're supposed to do. Two, make sure you're right with people before you bring your honey to God. Joseph's brothers were okay with Benjamin getting more than what they had. And, and we need to make sure that we're not focused on other people more than we are focused on our relationship with God. Do you know you can't be right with God if you're not right with your brother, the Bible says? So before you think, I'm going to get things right with God, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring my honey and things are going to be good. No, you need to make sure you're right with other people first. Number three, find your identity and who you are before God, not what you do for God. See, what you do matters, but if you bypass the heart, then we're a room full of Pharisees, and we don't want to be that. Friend, it ain't the honey, it's the heart. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.